Welcome back to another episode of Protein Ramblings and Mr. Gravelly Voice Host, apparently. <laughs> you, need to, you need to not worry about this. So I've just been editing lots of podcasts and realized how gravelly and croaky my voice is. I, I don't want to think about how many hours you've spent trying to fix your voice now because you didn't realize that was how you sounded. Yeah, I know, I know. Anyway, <laughs> it's just me and Naomi back this week, uh, or this not sure how this this evening. Well, and also two angry cats. Yeah, well, so one angry cat. You're going to hear some cat noises in the background. We've had cats coming into our garden, but that's not why we're here. That's just our everyday lives. Mm-hmm. While we're here is a bit of a different episode. Yeah, kind of miscellaneous episode. Well, you're the star of this episode. Oh. Yeah, yeah, it's all on you. So we're here to talk about Naomi's latest book. So as some of our listeners may very well be aware, Naomi is a published author. Mm-hmm. I think I've mentioned Renowned it. published author. Here and there. Well, yeah. I don't know about renowned. Award-winning. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. No, I mean, definitely yeah, award-winning. I won some awards. You've That's won multiple awards. You've got a shelf full of awards. I do. <laughs> so Naomi's got her a new self-published book come out. was released on the 10th of May. Mm-hmm. Absolutely fantastic. I know I'm biased, but my God, funny as fuck. <laughs> the book is called Hand of Fate. Yep. It is available... Kind of everywhere, really. Like ev- everywhere you're going to buy an ebook, you can get it. That's actually quite different for you for the self published. Normally, I thought you just did just Amazon. Well, in the, in the past, definitely Amazon was kind of the best place to sell ebooks. They kind of revolutionized it, made it easy for an author to do that by themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are a lot of other platforms available now. Yeah, of course. And, and a lot more options in how you do it. Um, so I've self published using a service called Draft Digital, which automatically uploads it to a whole bunch of different places. Like it's on Ball, right? Ball is like the shitty Dutch version of Amazon for those who don't know. It's where you can get whatever you want as long as you want to pay a lot of money for it. It's the dirt worst. Yeah. It's the absolute dirt worst. But yeah, so it uploaded it to Ball. Nice. That's 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 really cool. I wonder if you get any Dutch fans. But the book itself. So before we get actually get into Hand of Fate, some questions for our listeners. Obviously, I know mm-hmm. you very well. At least I hope I, I do. We've so been together now, for 12 like, years, yeah, near yeah. enough. But for our listeners that don't know, mm-hmm. I know you've written since childhood, but yeah. what, what was it? What was the inciting? Was there an, a particular inciting moment where you were like, oh God, I, I love writing. No, I just want to write. No, I just always did it. I always, always did it. There was never a kind, and I did it from such a young age that I don't remember not doing it. And I don't know if that sounds a bit like, oh, she was a child prodigy, but it was just, I have no memory of not writing. I was going to say, I would bet you were shit. Oh yeah, undoubtedly. Yeah, completely. But you know, I was five, so (laughs) whatever. But no, I just, I don't remember a point in my life where I wasn't writing something. So I don't know why I started. I was just always doing it. Apparently my uncle used to write a lot of stories in his teen and young adult years um nobody else in the family does that i know of really really funny if one of your siblings was like closet writing <laughs> furry fanfic yeah. or something really <laughs> embarrassing <laughs> when was your when did you start kind of working towards obviously you did creative writing at uni yeah um when did you start like do, working towards actually getting your first book published uh seriously after i graduated yeah before that i I'd, I'd written some very bad novels but I'd written them. I, I wrote like a fantasy trilogy. Well, I think like with our podcast, as some of our listeners know, some of the more recent episodes have been ropey as fuck. Mm-hmm. Every, you iterate and you get better and you get oh, better yeah, and absolutely. you get better, it's right? part of the process. Yeah, yeah. But so when I, I'm, when I was like kind of 15, 16, I'd written this this fantasy trilogy. And I can't remember how it came about, but dad knew somebody who worked in publishing and he showed them the book. And they were like, yeah, she's got talent, but she's got no life experience. And once she's got the life experience, then she might have something here. So after university, when I'd done like my three years of fucking prose, poetry, stage writing, 
oh my god and nothing else <laughs> i was like okay i think i think i i do want to try and do this for real like i do want to have a crack at the whole publishing thing okay your first published book was was it afterlife or was it silver kiss because i, 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 I feel like I, I feel like afterlife came first i think i signed the contract for silver kiss first but afterlife was published first yeah so that was 2008 if anyone wants a copy it costs about 400 bucks yeah don't Amazon. don't get it don't get it the, the publisher is is out of business they were terrible mm. but advice if you're a newbie author really really fucking research your publishers look at what people are saying about them online and start at the top, right? Go for where you want to be. If your aim is to be a best-selling, traditionally published author, don't start looking at small online presses thinking, well, maybe that's all I can achieve. Start at the top and then work your way down. Yeah. Well, I think that's like with most things in life, jobs, everything you aim for the way you want to be. And then yeah, exactly. you end up where you're cast, I guess. Oh, yeah, hopefully, hopefully. I think there's an idea in publishing that you kind of, that you should feel privileged to get published as a, as a writer, you know, that somebody is doing you a big favor. And so sometimes people will accept contracts that they shouldn't, which I have done. Yeah. Um, just because I know. you're so excited that somebody's like, yeah, I'll publish your book. Yeah, yeah. Research, always research. Okay, so coming on to Hand of Fate in mm -hmm. particular, I'm not going to ask you the question that, Everybody hates. Sorry, <laughs> I didn't mute fucking Steam. Is that your brother? It might be. It well, that's fine. It might actually just like no. It's Lloyd. He keeps sending me. He wants you to play dot game with him. He really wants me to play dot game, and he always wants me to play dot game while I'm recording a fucking <laughs> podcast. I just need to exit Steam when we start recording. <laughs> well, there you go. Anyway, back to back to the, yeah. the topic in hand. And uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So hand of fate. I'm not going to ask you the question that everyone fucking hates, mm -hmm. which is where you get your ideas. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of inspiration in there. I can tell from some traditional different folklore so where did you draw inspiration from for some of the aspects of the book so i i've always always loved mythology and folklore it's something i've always read my whole life from you know all different parts of the world so that there's always something to draw on there and when i decided that a lot of the book was going to be set in northern england so you can bring in kind of celtic influences there it just it really made sense to draw on like there are banshees are quite prominent in the book. Yeah. It's drawn that mythology and some of the kind of less known bits of banshee folklore, like the fact that women who die violent or unhappy deaths are more likely to become banshees. The red caps, they're a type of dwarf that are also... Are they the little... Yeah, they're all the ones that kind of bite Theo's ankles. Yeah, yeah. okay. <laughs> they're also quite prominent in Celtic folklore. I mean, I'm not saying like I you never see these things in other books because yeah. you do, but they're things I haven't really played with much before, so... A lot when I'm when I'm writing at my best, I'm writing purely to make myself happy. Yeah. So everything that's in this book is just something that I'm like, I personally think this is cool. I don't care what other people think. What was the kind of inception for Hand of Fate? How long did the the idea bounce around in your head before it really took a, a proper form yeah, for the a story? Few years. It was all very piecemeal. I I didn't have any characters in mind specifically, but for a few years I've had the idea in my head of a character who is toying with that idea of fate that, you know, like this is something irresistible. And if you are the chosen one, you have no choice but to go and fulfill that duty. It's a trope I don't really like in fiction. <laughs> so the idea of playing around with that been in my head for a long time, but it was finding the right vehicle for that theme. Okay, which brings me on to my next question. The chosen one archetype. Yeah. You kind of took that and flipped it on his head and yeah. made the chosen one a complete fuck up yeah. and useless. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Was that was that the initial intent when you set out? Yeah. I mean, and again, I'm, it's not like I'm the only person who's ever done this, but in a lot of paranormal and supernatural fiction, a lot of urban fantasy, you do get these chosen one, these characters who are the only people who can do what they do, whether it's vampire killing or uniting the world. I wanted to chastise fucking or Laurel K. Laurel like, K. Hamilton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Case in point. Perfect. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's an easy trope to play with, right? You know, it's 
it gives you a very easy starting point into a story like, okay, here's my heroine. She's the only female cheetah shifter in the world. There's your story, because that in itself is a story. Yeah. But life isn't like that. Life is kind of messy and weird. And I like messy, weird characters. And so Theo from Hand of Fate, by all, you know, on paper, probably should be the chosen one of, of her, her family. But she doesn't want to be. And she's fighting against that the whole time. And the thing that really clicked in my head was... How do you write a trilogy like that where the chosen one ends up like noping out of that and does it successfully and it's the right thing to do? <laughs> so that's going to be the arc of the books. Okay, cool. I do like that you introduced, so there's a secondary character in the book, Pasha, who mm. basically fills that slot of being yeah. the capable yeah. heroine of the book. Yeah, I think the, the key to writing a good secondary character is that they should be able to star in their own book. Not yeah. necessarily that they're going to. But it, they should have a life outside of the, the main character. It's not like they're just in a room waiting for the main character to pop in and be like, hey, come and do a thing with me. They should have that. You should be able to imagine they have their own things going on that would make their own story. Okay. I've, I've really, I think, and I really hope with Pasha that you get that. You know, she's competent. She's complicated. She's got a past. She's got power. She's very good at everything she does. And she's not just sitting around waiting for stuff to happen while she's not there. Yeah, I mean, I would definitely agree with that. Um, I think Pasha is a fascinating character. And yeah, you, you do. The book does leave you wanting more of not just Pasha, but the other characters in the book as well. I mean, my personal favorite character is Siobhan, uh, Theo's mom, because she's fucking, she's basically like Morticia Adams, but psychotic and turned up yeah. to like a billion. Yeah, she's the, the fairy tale evil stepmother. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, she's like, if M Maleficent, but David Lynch. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I like that. I can go with that. Or maybe a bit of David Lynch, a yeah. bit of Gil uh, Gil Guillermo del Toro yeah. kind of. She's fun to write because I think a good villain can't just be evil because the story needs them to be evil. It's one thing I really remember being taught in my creative writing course. I remember one guy had written a short story where it wasn't a supernatural piece. It was just a relationship piece. But the, the girlfriend in the relationship was evil purely because the story needed her to be, you know, despicable. And I remember our lecturer being like, this is not a character, you know, that you like, there's nothing, nobody is really like this. Well, I mean, it's the old adage that, you know, there sorry, the there, there, there go the cast. <laughs> it's the old adage of, you know, the villain is never the villain. They're the hero right, in their exactly. own story, right? So I think that the balance with Siobhan, who, I mean, who is horrible, like she is horrible <laughs> is also that you kind of have to be able to see that that's not all there is to her it's not black and white like there's maybe you don't agree or understand with the things she does or the reason she has but there are reasons beyond just i'm doing this because i'm the bad guy yeah i would agree there's complexity to character which you know is what you need in a good character you, like so, yeah. i am i mean take wrestling to a point you know the best characters are the characters that have depth and have a bit mm, of complexity yeah, about them. That's why the Attitude Era did so well, because you had characters that were... Nuanced. And yeah, yeah I, I remember um, my, my first agent, I, I don't have an agent anymore. I don't intend to get one, but I've had two. And the first one told me that one of the things they liked best about my characters was <laughs> that they revealed themselves as if they were doing a striptease. <laughs> it was like you, you get all these layers slowly coming to light and yeah, I can see that. I think, yeah, that, I think like, that's important. A, a really good case in point of that for one of your characters would be Tristess. Because mm. Tristess evolves so much over the course of the Blood Canticles books, yeah. which, again, is another series by Naomi that I absolutely that adore. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely adore. And highly recommend checking those out as well as Hand of Fate. Mm. But back to Hand of Fate. So the main conceit of the novel mm -hmm. and the the world and the magical families in therein is that born into the magical families are people with powers contained in 
is it their right hand? It's just their dominant hand. So if they're you're left-handed, so, it's your left hand. Okay, so oh, so where did the concept of that particular... So I don't know, this is something I remember researching because I wasn't sure if I was stealing somebody else's idea, the idea of a hand of power. It's something I've seen in a few other stories. It's not like a huge urban fantasy trope, but I've definitely read like two or three series that, that focus on it. I was like, okay, is this a mythology thing or is it something that's just kind of come into life through the genre the way some other tropes have? And I haven't really found an answer for that. So I was like, okay, I can, you know, yeah, I'm mean, not stealing it. I can do what I want with the idea. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, all creative work is derivative to some point, right? Yeah, basically, basically. So what is it? There were only seven There were only seven stories? Major, yeah, seven plot lines. Yeah, like, you know, rags to riches, journey and return, all that kind of thing. Yeah. So the, the idea I had, which I hadn't seen in the other books where I've read about Hands of Power, is that it's very arbitrary. Because it's, again, it's the idea of messing with fate. Like, yeah, okay, you might be lucky enough to get a hand of power, but it might be useless. So the idea is you have um, so the, the magical families we talked about, the veiled families. So I, I called them veiled families when I started writing because I just thought I need a cool, secretive sounding name for these people, these groups of people. <laughs> I had no plans beyond that. But you have these veiled families who Theo, our heroine, she is the child of a veiled family and therefore, in theory, very important and powerful. Mm-hmm. The way you get your hand of power is when you reach a certain young age, you are taken to a seat of power, which is just a kind of geographical landmark where magic has gathered. In Theo's, isn't it like a big stone it's chair? A big stone chair, yeah. And you put your hand on the chair and you get your power. Mm-hmm. But you don't know what it's going to be. So, so it's a crapshoot. Yeah. It, like I say, it could be something really useless. <laughs> so you get people like Siobhan, whose hand is the hand of nightmares. Which is such a cool power. Literally. It's so cool. Presses her hand to your forehead and she draws your nightmares out into the real world. Pasha has the hand of poison, which is kind of what it says on the tin. She poisons she? Yeah. There are some others in the book that come up. There's kind of the hand of ice, the hand of flame. Who's the, you know, the guy that leads, the the shifty guy that leads Siobhan's kind of coven? Or the inner circle. The inner yeah, circle. Yeah, Portrait, what, yeah. What's his one? So his, I don't think I ever gave it an actual proper name. He uses it in the book, but yeah. I don't remember if I actually named anything. But basically it's kind of like a telekinetic levitation type yeah. thing. And isn't there one that's got the hand of blades? I, I remember that coming up in it the book. It was mentioned, but it's not a character who's appeared yet. It Is it Theo's father? Uh, yes, I believe so. Yeah. I remember <laughs> shit. <laughs> you probably know it better than I do. <laughs> Theo's hand is the hand of phantoms, um, which when the book begins, she thinks just means she can kind of banish ghosts if she sees them. And she does see them naturally. Constantly. She doesn't have to work at that. So... It, she's kind of been raised to believe that this is a really useless power. It doesn't give you any advantages if it comes to deceitful business, you know, power-mongering politics. So her position in the family, even though she's the heir to her particular seat of power, is you're not going to be any good at this. Yeah. And she's kind of okay with that because her mother is an abusive psycho. And she's like, why do I want to be part of this? I don't want to be part of this backstabbing, politicking weird shit where (laughs) people who don't get a hand of power are just kind of relegated to a servant class and people who do are people like my mother yeah you know who are assholes yeah she's happy not to be involved and to be i think although there's a bitterness in her that she's considered useless actually if it means she doesn't have to stay and be part of it all it's fine you know the first chance she had to get away she left yeah so coming on to the character of the obviously a lot of your a lot of your major published work have been in the paranormal romance uh, specifically lesbian paranormal mm-hmm. romance where was when was the shift to when did the shift happen where you were like okay well i just i write lesbian fantasy <laughs> fantasy now so was it when you won your first best lesbian award <laughs> not well not really but it was kind of an accident it, it wasn't what i set out to do and i'm very aware that I, i'm not a lesbian you know i'm a straight person and there's an element i think you have to be careful of 
are you taking up space that belongs to an authentic voice when you do this? And that was never my intention. But the way it came about was, I don't know if you will remember, it was just, it was not long before we got together, the, the Queer Wolf anthology. Queer fiction. Queer fiction. So they were a small publisher who were, like it sounds, just posting, uh, publishing queer fiction. And they put out a call for short stories for a werewolf anthology, which a friend sent to me because she was like, hey, you love werewolves. I bet you could do something with this. I was like, yeah, okay, why not? I'll give it a go. Like, what have I got to lose? Yeah. Right? What have I got to lose? And I, d- I don't, I, d- I don't, I think if you're writing good characters, it doesn't matter if they're gay, straight, whatever. They're just people. That's what I was going to say is like the one thing that I, through all your books that I've read, the one thing, it never, it's never like a, it's part of who they are, but it's never like a domineering kind of, it's never the focal point of, like, obviously the the relationships are a focal point, but it's none of the characters, it's never like a big deal that they are gay. No, and I it's mean, it's, never- it's not my, my place to write kind of coming out stories or struggling with sexuality stories. You know, there are authentic queer writers who do that already. And there are plenty of queer writers who don't want to do that either. But, you know, that's, that is kind of not for me to step into that territory. So I don't want these to be... I don't want the sexuality to be the focus of the story, but no. I want somebody who is queer or straight or whatever to read that book and just be like, I relate to these characters. Yeah, and I would say that actually there's there's some merit and some good into the in the fact that you kind of just it's very normalized in your book. And that's, yeah, that, I hope so. I've always kind of taken tried to put it in that point that like in my books, it's it's a safe space to to have whatever kind of romances you want. You know, in Blood Canticles, you have bisexual people, you have pansexual people, you have lesbians, you know, just, and it's all fine. It's, it's nobody's kind of crossed to bear. It's just, yeah, it's just life and it's fine. Yeah, which I, I I always, I kind of always appreciate and enjoy about your books is yeah. that they're, they're very just matter of fact about who the people are. You know, there's no big, and oh my God, she's gay and like <laughs> anything like that. It's just, yeah. you know, these are characters. And Yeah, but what happened with the, the, the queer wolf anthology is my story was accepted it was the first book in, in reading order in the anthology and it was incredibly well received and reviewed <laughs> so then the publisher was like do you want to do more and then it was kind of it was just this accidental thing of like well, okay i'm writing this and people are buying it and liking it so it makes sense to to keep doing it yeah so how did that bleed into mcr mcr motorbike club romance don't <laughs> think i don't know what it stands for <laughs> So, I mean, I, I'm I'm a voracious reader. I'll read anything. And so I think it kind of follows that I want to write lots of different things as well. Yeah, like urban fantasy is my soul genre. That's the yeah. stuff I really, truly love. But I love lots of other stuff as well. So I got to a point where I was, I was reading a lot of motorcycle romance because I like the bros, right? I like bro stories where bros are just like together being bros. And that's what a lot of motorcycle romance is. But there's a backdrop of kind of crime and sex. It's fun. Yeah. Sometimes it's ridiculous. Sometimes it's so melodramatic, but it's fun. I was like, I'm reading a lot of this. I think I could probably write some of this. I mean, it doesn't sound particularly taxing for your skills, I'll <laughs> be honest. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a change of pace. So yeah, I've written a few of those under a different name, just so people kind of know, like, look, if you pick up this book, this is not urban fantasy. It's not queer characters. It's very much kind of heterosexual relationships and there's no magic, which for me is quite unusual. That's the Amber Morgan yeah. pseudonym. Uh, links to all Naomi's work, by the way, can be found on the uh, friends page of our website and on the team page of our website as well. Mm-hmm. So back to Hand of Fate, you mentioned this is the first book in a trilogy. Yep. Now I know you don't really plan your work, so <laughs> I was about I was about to fall into the question of so what what have you got any well, outline? Yeah, I've got a broad overarching mm-hmm. plot for book two, which I, I've written about five hundred words of, um, just because the I was in the shower the other morning and the beginning came to me, so I kind of leapt out of the shower and typed it up in notes on my phone. <laughs> 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 I was like, I should probably put this somewhere more secure when I'm dressed. So I've written the opening of it, which is basically just kind of a 
a very Theo-esque recap of what happened in the first book. Okay. So I, I know I've kind of got a beginning and end point. I, generally, yeah, I don't plan, but I usually have an idea in my mind of like, this is where they start, this is where they end. Here's a few things I want to happen in between, and then the rest I kind of like to discover as I write. Yeah, it's much more fun. So without giving anything away, for like, do you plan for Theo to become more competent as the series progresses? She's become more competent, but she's very much still on the, I don't want none of this shit. Right, that's that's her thing. Everything she's doing is motivated by the desire to go back to her normal, boring life. <laughs> right? So no matter how many adventures she has or how much power she discovers or whatever, it's the end goal is always, I just want to go back to my apartment in New York and not see any of you fuckers again. <laughs> I like that. It's almost the um, the kind of Constantine Hawkeye bat fraction done yeah. with this shit. <laughs> yeah, kind of, I guess. <laughs> so Pasha, mm. now she's obviously quite a prominent character throughout the first book. Yeah. I assume she's going to be sticking around yeah, for a definitely. while. Yeah, yeah. As we were talking earlier, you mentioned potentially doing a, a spinoff from Blood Canticles. Mm. Like, I know you say that you're not going to do, like, you know, you write characters not with the intention of doing anything more with them, but Pasha is an especially intriguing character and the little hints that are dropped to her backstory do leave you wanting more. Mm -hmm. Do you think you might ever play around with her a bit more? I don't more? know. I mean, she's going to be so kind of key to the trilogy as a whole and her story is really going to intertwine with Theo's a lot more. So I think everything you will need to know about her will be revealed Okay. over the course of the trilogy. I, I can never say never. I, I do tend to kind of fall in love with characters and then be like, oh, what if I did this? What if I did that? And that's how the Ethan Banning series, like, Dearly Departed came about, like a side character that I just couldn't say goodbye to. <laughs> Speaking of characters, out of all your books, do you have a favorite? Who? It's Ethan. It's Ethan. It's Ethan. It's Ethan Banning. Like, people will find links. The books aren't available right now, but I think there's still some old paperback copies of, of Demonized on Amazon, probably for a ridiculous amount of money that you should definitely not pay. <laughs> um, but so Ethan is a private eye who is possessed by a demon and the demon kind of thrives on misery and, and negative emotions so it kind of makes Ethan do and think horrible things in order to feed itself He this happened in Afterlife it, it did yeah. de, uh, e Ethan is a spin-off character from uh, Afterlife um, and it's just he's Ethan himself is so much fun to write like Ethan is a character that has no filters he, he can say and think whatever I want him to say and think I always imagine for writing Ethan for you is kind of like when you have your sim and you just make all the bad things happen to them. Yeah. You just lock them in a room, set yeah, the room on fire. Cool yeah, enjoy the ladders, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's a punching bag. But he's there's just something I, I just love so much about him and his worldview, even though it's very bleak. It's it's just it's fun to get into, maybe because it's so different from most of my other writing. Like I think there are tropes and themes I come back to again and again like if you've read my books you know I love private eyes I put one in every single fucking book I write I'm sorry I can't stop <laughs> I like hey I love Dawn characters. Dawn's fantastic Dawn's amazing yeah Dawn from Blood Canticles oh yeah I like difficult characters I like unconventional characters I think it usually encapsulates all of the things I love best yeah and the one thing I've noticed is, is reading through like having read most, if not, I'm not, obviously I've not read a lot of your Amber Morgan stuff because it's... You would like my bro motorcycle. I probably would. There's a little <laughs> part of me that's like, I'm a man, I shouldn't read this shit. <laughs> but um, yeah, like the one thing I've, I, I've noticed over the course of your writing is that you've definitely ventured into darker territory. I think that's where I naturally sit as a writer. I think because I've been writing for um, a romance publisher for a long time now, a lot of the stuff I've written obviously has to, you know, there are certain requirements for romance. You have well, to have a happy ending. Didn't you also, didn't you, you have to have X amount of sex scenes? 
yeah, I do keep getting told to put more sex scenes into my books. Like, this is right sidebar writing sex scenes. Yeah, it's not fun. Really? Not for well, I don't speak for every writer. Right? There are some writers, and maybe it's just kind of the internet persona who are like, "Oh my god, I wrote such a swoony sex scene. I'm so flushed. I can't wait till hubby gets home." You know, and obviously that's to kind of entice the fans and get them interested. But it's it's tedious for me. It's not. The have you ever have you ever wrote a sex scene where someone accidentally had three arms? Not to my knowledge. <laughs> Well, no, I mean, obviously you'd edit it, you'd get caught in edits. <laughs> yeah, sure but... I remember one where I had an editor's note being like, I don't understand what's happening here. <laughs> but like, I mean, it's, and this is not to say that sex scenes aren't important. Like a well-written sex scene in a book can do a lot of important things in terms of character revelations and moving a plot on. And obviously, you know, people who love romance, more often than not, that's part of what they want. They want the sex because it's the connection and the eroticism and that's important. But they're not easy to write and they're not easy to write different variations of every time. It's like, okay, like, yeah, sure, there are millions of sex positions. But they're not real-world sex positions. Some of them aren't practical. No, exactly. You know, like, sex is great, but it's also in real life. It can be messy and weird and clumsy. And, like, (laughs) some books will handle those kind of sex scenes. You know, romantic comedies, obviously, you can get away with that. Yeah. I don't write romantic comedies. I I guess a lot of the time there is that that call for that perfect tailored sex scene that is, you know, it's the idealized version of what sex is like. Exactly. And you want some emotional resonance. Like, I'm not not slamming erotic fiction where it's just about the sex, but I'm not an erotic writer and I'm not an erotic reader. So I don't just want the kind of like, he banged her pussy, she was so wet, her clit was throbbing. There's got to be some emotion in there and some humor and some personality for me for it to be a good sex scene. And bringing all those things together and keeping them engaging is is really hard work. Would you say writing a sex scene is somewhat akin to writing an action scene? Yeah, in terms that you have to remember where all the limbs are and that kind of thing. Who's in what, who's in who at any one time? Yeah, yeah. What is in which orifice? Exactly. Remembering like, did she bang her knee? You know, that kind of thing. Also, yeah, that's something like remembering to incorporate injuries that have occurred throughout the book I into sex scenes. There's a, a scene in Hand of Fate where Theo hurts her knee and like like couldn't fucking remember which knee it was. So every time it came up, I had to kind of skip back and be like, right, okay, that's the one. Yeah, she was favoring that knee. Yeah, little things like that. Like a wrestler selling the wrong knee. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh no shit, she broke her left arm. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of things you have to keep in the air. Because like obviously with Hand of Fate not being... Because most of your, like, the Blood Canticles work are published under... Evernight Publishing. Yes. And this one being self-published, obviously you don't have that kind of mandate of we need our sex quota. Yeah, this would not have been accepted by Evernight at all. Because Um, it's like, it's an incredible, there will be a romance, but it's incredibly slow burn. And like, I'm sure it won't surprise you to know that Pasha is the love interest. Yeah, well, I kind of gathered that. They don't even like each other in book one. No. They don't even touch each other in an affectionate way in book one. No, but she, like... Theo does check out Pasha constantly. Yeah, yeah, constantly is burping <laughs> on her. He's like, well, it's not like she's that attractive as I stare at her attractive butt. Yeah. Yeah, but that, that would not have been accepted by Evernight. <laughs> my my last book that was picked up by Evernight, by my count, had two full sex scenes, one shower masturbation scene, a lot of kissing, a lot of nudity, a lot of making out, and one dream sex scene. And the acquiring editor was like, I don't think there's enough sex. I, I just was like, I don't know what more... I like, there's no logical place in this book for more sex. Well, didn't you just tack on a sex scene to no, the end I of the didn't. first Blood oh, Canticle book? Oh, yes, I did. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because it ended... Well, I didn't say it ended abruptly, but it didn't end explicitly. <laughs> <laughs> and the editor was like, really good book, needs more sex. So like, you just really shoehorn one in yeah, the end. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, having read your stuff, it, you, you write very good lesbian sex Well, I don't want to make it sound like I don't care about that side of it, because I do. But mm. I think you'll see the difference, you know, in Hand of Fate, a book that I wrote purely to make myself happy 
the focus in this first book is not romance and sex. It's quips. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like Theo is a very tongue-in-cheek, yeah, quippy yeah, character. I hope I didn't go too too Whedon-y. No, no. I, I think you're you're on the right side of Whedon-y. Mm-hmm. You're like, you're not you're not bad Whedon. Good. You're good Whedon. <laughs> you're like it's it's like Mal. Yeah. Firefly levels okay. of good quipping. That's okay then. Yeah. No, she is quippy. You know, like first Avengers quipping. Yeah, that's fine. That's yeah. a, a fine level of quipping. Yeah. No, I, I like, and uh, I think the way it works, because a lot of it's in a lot of uh, her witty retorts are actually just internal moments. Yes. Like, yeah, because she wouldn't dare say them out loud to the people she's with. Yeah. So I think in that sense, it, it works even better because it's just like her thinking to herself. She's <laughs> <laughs> like, fuck, fuck, fuck. Yeah, basically. Yeah. <laughs> I noticed there's a, there's a high level of, higher level of profanity in this book as well. <laughs> that wasn't deliberate. That was something... That's what living with me does to you. <laughs> Maybe. It it's, reduces it's your I think it's like... Um, I think there's, there's kind of a, a spectrum that I went through. Like when I was younger and first starting to write urban fantasy of the idea of, of publication, I was like, right, this is an adult book. Adult people swear. So I'm going to swear a lot in this book. And, you know, like I would, there would be so many variations of the word fuck. And then you kind of, you get a bit older and a bit more mature as a person and as a writer and you realize... You that, yeah. But you, but you also realize that what makes the story kind of gritty is not how many times the heroine says fuck or cunt. And then you kind of come out the other end and think, fuck the world. And your heroine thinks it too. Yeah. And that's kind of been 2020, I guess, because that's when I wrote Hand of Fate. <laughs> Maybe it tracks that there's more to wearing. Yeah. I mean, generally speaking, I think it, 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 the overall tone of the book, it, you know, it's got some pretty grim dark scenes and, and uh, like basically anything that takes place in Siobhan's bedroom is fucking nightmare <laughs> fuel. Well, I, well you I, did a, I think you did a really good job of striding that, that Lovecraftian line of show don't tell. I hope so, because I think I lack a bit of distance from it all. And when I'm writing it, I always feel like, well, maybe I, I could have amped up the, the horror. Maybe I could have made this darker somehow. But then when people read it, they're like, no, no, that was exactly the right amount of, of dark. Yeah, no, I think so. Like like you say, you know, you, do, you give enough of a description for the reader to form a picture in their mind of what's going on, but not you don't stray into Prometheus territory. Yeah. Of oh god, I've ruined everything by over-explaining, and <laughs> I better explain. Uh, it's some all more. just it's it's all just a misanthropic android. Yeah, yeah. No, there's never going to be a misanthropic android in my books. No, I as we've discussed in the childhood media trauma, <laughs> yeah, exactly. there'll never be an android yeah. of any kind in any of Probably your books. Probably not. No. Oh, you should do that though. <laughs> I'm going to terrify myself. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, Hand of Fate available mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. Yep. You're currently also working on the Last in the Blood Canticle series. I am, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just starting to get properly rolling on that. Approaching the, the 10,000 word mark, which is where a story starts to feel like a, a real book to me. It's like where you can really start to see the shape of the plot. So, yeah. Okay, cool. And anything else in the pipeline? So I've got two Amber Morgan books coming out in the summer. One is a short story called Exiled Alpha. That will be out in July, I believe. That's werewolves, some motorbikes. And the the book that I was told to put more sex in that I got angry about is out in August. That's called The Dark Truth, and that is a vampire reverse harem. So I think there's plenty of sex. I know my readers will be... So you say reverse harem. So reverse harem is one woman, lots of men. Okay. Who are exclusive to that woman. Okay. They're, fun, they're, they're really fun to write. They're, again, they're another genre that's like, it's so over the top and crazy. Yeah. But they're fun. Um. But didn't you do like a Wear Tiger threesome thing at some point? Yeah, yeah, that's an overnight work. Yeah, well, a short story. Yeah. <laughs> so there you go for all your weird, sexy times. <laughs> yeah. And furry content, apparently. Check out Amber Morgan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I th- uh, hope you guys have enjoyed uh, listening to me interview my fiance about her <laughs> writing. Do check out Hand of Fate. Like you say, I'm now available at all major ebook retailers. And Ball. 
and bald. <laughs> <laughs> and like I said, I read it before it was released and, you know, obviously I'm biased, but genuinely really, really love the book. It's a fantastically good read. It's a fantastically funny, fantastically dark, and also high recommendation to go and check out uh, the Blood Canticle series. The books are not what you expect from the opening. Like I went into the Blood Canticle series going, the fuck? Auras? Tarot? You <laughs> bunch of wicker bullshit? By the end of it, I'm like, oh my god, write more. Write more now. <laughs> like, I think, you know, like we've said before, is it book four, Imper- Imperial Demons? Imperial Demons, yeah. The best book that you've written to date. Mm-hmm. Yeah, by I far. So, definitely. Yeah. Like, it's fantastic. So yeah, do check those out. You just search Naomi Clark in Amazon. Don't search just Naomi Clark on the web because you'll get Beverly Hills and Naomi Clark. Yeah, yeah, I'm not the only one. No, there's quite a few. Like there was a 18, because I've got a Google Alerts for your name mm. and you died. Yeah, I remember you telling me. <laughs> It was, yeah. 83-year-old Naomi Clark from Kentucky died, leaving behind 25 sisters and something, 48 grandchildren. I don't know. But yes, do check out Naomi Clark on Amazon and also check out Evernight Publishing for other paranormal romance and just general romance. Like every genre of romance, yeah. Yeah. If you love romance... Evernight will have something for you. Doesn't Olivia have some stuff published with them as well? Does at the moment, yeah, yeah. Won't discuss her business on the podcast. But yes, my my co-author, Olivia Arburton, has some books available through Evernight and also some self-published books through Amazon. So I'll give her a plug as well. She's great. Yeah, uh, well, links to Olivia Burton's stuff are again on our friend's page of our website. Because yeah, you co-authored a couple of books with we've her. Done, we've done a few books. I've done some Amber Morgan books with her. Yeah, but like ironically, I've written the sex zines for because she hates writing them even more than I do. <laughs> <laughs> you contract out sex writer. <laughs> Basically, yeah. Is that is that sex work? Is that is the, <laughs> maybe? Is that like fictional prostitution? <laughs> <Maybe>. <laughs> okay, guys. Well, we're gonna love you and leave you, and we'll be back soon, most likely with more Jace. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's gonna be the show probably for a, a, a while going forward. Is a lot of Jace. We've got a lot to get through. Jace, hope you guys have enjoyed this little break. Something a bit different. Thank you for having me <laughs> in in my home. In your own home <laughs> on on your on yeah. your your co-hosted podcast yeah Yeah. (laughs) do check out Naomi Clark and we'll be back to entertain you again soon ta-ta bye